Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry and the destination for creating your own custom engagement ring. Choose from a variety of beyond conflict-free diamonds and other fine jewelry crafted from recycled precious metals at brilliantearth.com. From now until December 14th, you will receive a complimentary pair of diamond studs with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms for this special offer and to shop all of Brilliant Earth's selections, go to brilliantearth.com slash watch. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by If Beale Street Could Talk. If Beale Street Could Talk is, above all else, a love story from Barry Jenkins, the writer and director of the Oscar-winning Moonlight, comes a soulful drama about the power of love based on James Baldwin's acclaimed novel of the same name. This moving story embraces the triumph of love and family. See if Beale Street could talk in select theaters December 14th. I need supports to have to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Andy Greenwald and Sam Guys, what has happened to this place? <laughs> what What is going on? So I'm, Sam, I'm Sam hasn't been concerned. here in a, in a year. Why, you yeah. think this is worse this digs is, than well, what we had before? I mean, isn't it? I mean, it's... It's more intimate. It's, it's more... It, you could use that word. You know... Intimate. From what I understand, the Ringer Podcast Network is a thriving and mm. growing business. Mm-hmm. Are you can see behind you, there's, there's and posters there for posters. all sorts of and, non-watch po- podcasts. And... and <laughs> And much right. like Stephen Root's character in Office Space, we still work here. Right. We're just moving into a, right. a succession Sam's of smaller and smaller yeah. offices. I mean, I'm sitting at a cubicle right now. <laughs> you are, but at least we're <laughs> sharing a cubicle. Guys, it's True. the annual Year in TV podcast with Sam Esmail. Sam, this is the third one? Is it the third? I think so. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. One that's in the special... studio here, one in your office. Yes. This and is, one, this is the third one. This, this is, is not your third, third appearance. It's just that after the it's, first few it's appearances. It's the third end of the year. Yeah. You insisted on being part of this conversation. Yes. Yeah. I think it was needed. I think, honestly, if I'm being, can I be honest with yeah. you guys? Yeah. You think you I think I needed to. <laughs> because Sam is not <laughs> just. Insert my opinion. You're not just a guest. You're also the podcast's self-appointed ombudsman. Right, you, you, you yes. take, you're the public editor. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. You take issue the with the controller what we do. too. Yeah, and this has been a it's a bit of figure in television. It has, and I actually wanted to talk about that because because okay. this is the conversation I wanted to have just before we kick things off, okay. which is how many returning shows do you have on your list? Good question. Because um, we each, so we should I, set I this up. We each have our top ten list in front of us. We'll I have, share yeah. them. Top ten. I yeah. have I have two. One, two, two three, which I think is interesting. I got four. Two. I have four. Wow, Andy. Okay. You're sticking with the ones I you just, love. I'm just, loyal. That's just, why I'm with you guys right now. I just wonder, don't you think years ago that number would have been the majority? Yes. yes. Well, one thing is that TV shows, even serialized ones, season to season, have been decoupled from the the tradition to the past and that you could take a year off, right? So there could okay. be a show that we would have been on it, sure. but maybe so it's not Thrones, returning. What sure. Game of Thrones or Stranger Things or whatever. They did not air this year, so they're not on the list. There's another show about a... A robot or something mm-hmm. that also took a year off. Mm-hmm. Madam um, Robot. <laughs> Madam Robot. <laughs> Madam Robot, I believe. So I think that's part of it. But I also think that without question, we are in an era of culture in general that definitely prioritizes the new and the flashy. And our engagement with TV has become more like our engagement maybe with the movies. We're like right. the, the flashy thing that's out and everyone checks it out right away and then we move on. Yeah, and there is a weird thing because I felt like as I was making the list, there was a weird bias to shows that I like that have come back mm-hmm. that I 
for whatever reason, because they're returning, they're not as exciting as the newer shows. And I don't, uh, you know, and I, I don't know if that's going to be a trend because the other thing that I'm starting to see with return, like ongoing series, is they're not going for the distance necessarily anymore. Right. They're going for they're limited number piecing of out seasons. after four seasons, for example. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Just yes. hypothetically. Okay. Fine. This is this is all about me, right? <laughs> well, it seems I'm trying so. to justify my decision here. Well, let's, um, I think that we should get into it yeah. in the conversation because we. But I think can we I have, also ask another question? Well, do you please. just just before we kick it off? Do you guys feel like this is a strong year? No, I I don't either. I think I, I especially not I given the amount that was out. You know, you think, yes. you know, I think that yeah. if, if you told me, I have a very long list, but when it really got to like, is this a top 10 show? Is this like one of the best shows of the year? Is this a show I'd put up against other past top yeah. 10 shows? I was like, not really. It's pretty good. Like, yeah, there's yeah. a lot of pretty good. I, and we've talked about that a lot this year. I think you get, once you get past four or five on my list, I think that it's kind of pick them. I think these are things that I liked. And, and in general, looking over the year in television for me was a lot like looking over the year in music, for example. And we're not going to talk about music on this podcast, I promise. <laughs> but in the sense that there are a lot of shows on my list and even on like an extended list that I felt are almost, it's almost too easy that I put them on the list. These are shows that are made almost in a lab for me right. or for Chris. We are in this like hyper niche era of television where there's things, you know, we'll talk about this, like I'm sure like Little Drummer Girl, which Chris and I adore, that I don't know if that would be up on a list against the great shows of the last decade. It, I just think it's exceptional because it, it ticks every box that matters to me. And I, I'll also add, I struggled. I gotta be honest, I struggled getting a top 10 and there were a lot of shows that I really liked, but I just didn't think it would crack the top ten. So there are two shows actually that are on here that I just I haven't seen the entire season. There's that part of because, it too. Yeah. Because that's it's okay. so late in the I game. I think that's actually okay. And I do think maybe there is because this happened last year. You know, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel mm -hmm. would have been on my list yes. had I seen it. You know, when we did the top ten. And by the way, the second season's coming out a couple it, weeks, it December fifth, so, I think. It, it would Next potentially week. been an, on there. Yeah, yeah, and just so I Guess think we should what? make so, mention we're dark. recording this at the end of November, but we'll probably release this in the first it, week of December. Right? And I, I want to say, and again, we can talk about this <clears throat> as we're going through our list. It's on my list. I'm holding a spot for it because oh, okay. the AKA, first season <laughs> was so. No, no, there were two or three. There were two or three that fell off, but I'm like, look. The first season of Mrs. Maisel is so good, so good, so incredible. I would love to just watch it again. It would fill me with joy. That I'm willing to bet that the second season is stronger from the beginning to end than Lodge 49. Wow. Sure. Wow. And so it's, I'm holding a place for it. And, wow. And if I'm proved wrong, we air this podcast, the season is, has, has begun on Amazon, or I've been dumped on Amazon, and it falls short, I will mea culpa on a later podcast. <laughs> but we are caught in this weird space, and we should talk about that as well. Dark... Dark, All which three was, of us, which is yeah. totally would have been on my list. Yes, we missed it last year. It came well, on. It came literally. I mean, it missed our list. It was yeah. Christmas weekend. I it think. was yeah. It was literally. I think the last weekend of the year. To me, and I don't know how we caveat this. I don't know if we we put. An I think asterisk. it's just best information available. Plus, right. a couple it, of the caveats are you're saving a spot for Maisel. I did, and neither of us put Homecoming on our list out of respect. To journalistic integrity. Friends and family. Yes, yeah. <laughs> yes. Because there's one thing <laughs> this podcast vis a vis my relationship to Sam has and also, been adamant about. We've never been compromised integrity. ethically. No. No. Uh, okay. Uh, wait. Uh, last thing I just want to say about Dark before we get into it. I think you're asking about was it a strong year or a weak year? What I missed most this year 
if I'm being honest, when I, especially when I was considering it for this list, it wasn't Game of Thrones, which we know is coming back in four or five months and is going to be epic and huge and unprecedented. Actually, it was dark. Not just the show itself, which I loved, but I missed being that surprised and caught off guard by something that I was truly impressed by and was just so purely entertaining. Again, when we get through the list, you'll see that like pretty much everything I chose, these are things that are either that I've liked before or that are tailor-made to me. Yeah. And Dark was a real delight. And I'm sure there are other Darks out there, possibly even on Netflix, that we haven't uncovered yet. I remember at the end of last year, Sam, you went crazy for that Brazilian show— Three oh, yeah. percent or whatever. Yeah, three percent. Yeah. There's a couple of things hiding in the foreign language section right. that maybe we've missed, and people will, I'm sure, tweet at us. But right. that sensation is absent from my list. So I agree. So here's how we're going to do it. We're yeah. going to go through our list. We'll start at ten. Yeah. What we'll do is every time we talk about it, like a, fir- a show gets announced for the first time, that's when we'll talk about it. Got it. Okay, and then. That way, once we've they they show up again mm-hmm. later on, and if you have a show and it, it gets named, just mention, oh, this is this is my third show or whatever. So Sam, you're the guest and the host and the host <laughs> and the ombudsman number ten. So number ten for me is Barry. Woo. Okay. Okay. Barry's on all of our lists. Barry's at six for me. Barry is at eight for me. Okay. I mean, I really love the show, but I think primarily the thing that that really really grabbed me was Bill Hader's performance mm-hmm. and, and, and by, by the way his directing right didn't he direct yeah, yeah. he directed episodes? a bunch of it I just thought it was incredibly specific and the character I mean it, it, the tone was just such a tightrope and sometimes it lost me a little bit when it got too broad when the comedy got a little too broad but for the most part I think his characterization uh, of Barry it was just so uh, interesting, fascinating, and I just, it kept me watching. And so a lot of a lot of the directorial choices were great too, and especially uh, also the, all the directors outside of Bill Hader, Hiro Murai, yeah. Um Really, 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 really good show. Well, I have a question about that. To turn it back to you, I agree. I thought there were moments of that show that I didn't totally love, but I was so impressed by it, even when I wasn't in love with it, by its uh, risk-taking and its boldness and its commitment to the bit that it was doing, and it didn't shy away from it, even though it gobbled up plot at an insane pace and left us in what appears to be like an almost untenable situation for a future season. But what I wanted to ask you was about that idea of specificity of direction and of artistic choices and tone, because Chris and I talk about that a lot in things that we like, Obviously, that was something we talked about a lot when we were talking about your work on Homecoming. As a director, what does what does that mean to you? What when you see a show like Barry, what causes you to say, "I appreciate the specificity of his directorial vision"? It's all about committing to uh, committing to something incredibly specific and 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 not going general, making very specific choices that are going to stand out at the risk of being pretentious, at the risk of calling attention to itself or being self-conscious. And Barry did that a, a lot of times, but because you could tell that they had that kind of, uh, or I guess Bill had that kind of specific vision in his head, you could tell it felt authentic. There was something really backing it up. And I mean, and they never let go, even till the very end. I mean, how dark is this show for a comedy? Yeah. And the way, and the, and, and the commitment just, I'm not going to spoil it, but the commitment lasted to the very end of the series uh, in, uh, of the season and and I, I just thought that that was that was really bold and refreshing yeah you also have to consider the fact that most of the times something that's like a vanity project it positions the person who is the object of the vanity who's who's you know whose dream it is to make this so Bill Hader's writing and directing and starring this mm-hmm. thing he gives a lot of the best bits a lot mm-hmm. of the best comedy moments to Henry Winkler mm-hmm. he puts his character in a position where he is we as an audience may like Bill Hader, but we're like, do I, 
like Do I want to go along with this guy as he com- continues to go darker and darker? Mm-hmm. And I think it's also really confrontational about our kind of romanticization of not only violence, but like hitmen in particular who have been, you know, like obviously an object of real obsession mm-hmm. for movies and, and TV and books over the last hundred years. To be like, well, what is really this this job? Really, this is what this person would be right. like. You know, it wouldn't be like John Cusack and Gross Point Blank, where he has yeah. like a moral compass that's always pointing the right way. You know, and it wasn't cute at all. No, it was actually, and, and but it was a half hour com. I mean, that that was the weird thing about the show is that it could have just been this like funny, you know, bit that they played every every week, like a Gross Point Blank, which, by the way. It's a great movie. A great movie. <laughs> yeah. I love that movie. But it it actually, they backed it up with a lot of depth and a lot of... No, it didn't have a lot of irony. No. Yeah. One, of the, one of the things that I think you always have to police against in a television show in general, particularly in comedies, is the fact that people fall in love with characters, mm-hmm. and that's what makes people re- return week after week. You can celebrate that in wonderful ways, and you know there's a laundry list of shows, maybe even on our list, that we'll talk about how they successfully do that. But... There's also a trap because if you are as in love with your characters and as and in comfortable situations as the audience is, the show can sort of flatten out. And I think that that speaks to why a show that I admire and love a lot like The Good Place is not on my list this year because so far through this season, I've felt the show is desire to be nice is so nice that I'm not enjoying it as much because I don't see any edges anymore. Not that it was ever an edgy show, but it, it's tipped the balance has tipped a little too much in terms of comfort as opposed to challenge or momentum. What's uh, your number 10? L- last point before you do that. Sarah Goldberg is incredible on the show and Henry Winkler's performance is so good. And Henry Winkler. Yeah, go check amazing. out our interview it, with Henry. Are, he's a close personal friend of both <laughs> both of us. It's just to say that there are so many. like three quarters of Los Angeles is like, let me tell you about my close personal friend. Henry <laughs> yes, Winkler. because he's really that <laughs> yeah, nice. he's really good. At it. Yeah. But I, I just want to say that like, there are, and, and I'm sure Sam can speak to this too, there are so many good actors. There really are a lot of really talented, really good actors, and when you give them this opportunity, like Henry Winkler obviously has had many right. opportunities in a long career, but he did the shit out of this role, right? And he's, he's not, it's not that he's better than he was 10 years ago, it's just the opportunity in the part, and when it clicks, it's pretty exciting to see. My number 10 is a show that I've not finished, because it just started, mm-hmm. um, Deutschland 86. People may remember from, I think, three years ago, mm-hmm. I wrote about it for Grantland at the end of, near the end of the website and talked about it on the podcast. Deutschland 83 was a really terrific series, German-language original show, aired on Sundance. It was vibrant and funny and weird and kind of like a pop music version of the Americans, Sam's favorite show. Um, <laughs> and this is the sequel series set three years later, filmed in South Africa, set in South Africa and Angola with a lot of the same cast. Oh, wow. First of all, I love the way the wingers, uh, Jorg and uh, Anna Winger, the married couple that make the show. I love the way they which make TV. You, which, which one do you like more, Jorg? No, Anna, I think. Okay. Actually. <laughs> uh, no, it was that, the, when the Times reviewed it, I was very impressed. They referred to them as, as a wife and husband creating team. So okay. Breaking a little ground there. Um, what is this? What, which, what network is this This show? is on Sundance. I think it was a co-production with Amazon, uh, so I think it will show I've never up there. Seen, did you, did you, have you seen I this? I watched the first series. I didn't see this it one. It just showed up uh, a week ago. So British of you. It's, <laughs> I watched the first series. Did you say series? <laughs> yes, I just did. got back. You did just get back. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, God. He needs to go take a nap at his flat. Um, it's pretty thrilling, and it's a really interesting, it just has such an interesting both aesthetic perspective because it's really brilliantly directed, really pop visually, but such an interesting cultural perspective about an era that we think we know what it was, the Cold War, but this is from a German perspective, and specifically this season, about the proxy wars that occurred in Africa. Mm -hmm. It's a great use of 
they, they had they were given a chance to do another series and they expanded the canvas. I'm really enjoying. That's it. really cool. Yeah. Uh, my number ten is The Haunting of Hill House, which which is on my list. Good, uh, and we can talk about higher. that now. But like, I think that one thing that I started to feel a little bit this year. Oh, good, we can just talk yeah. about that. Was a little bit of sameness with TV, where I felt like partially because we were starting so many new series. We were often starting at the beginning, so often posh. have it, so often the first few episodes of a lot of shows have some of the same beats where they're introducing characters and storylines and stuff like that, which I was like, man, it, it does feel like a lot of TV looks the same, and a lot of TV has sort of settled in to the same pitch in terms of performances. And this doesn't feel like anything on television. Right. The performances are very mannered and mm-hmm. very, like, off- in a way that you're like really drawn to them. You're like, wait, mm-hmm. why is everybody acting like this? Mm-hmm. And wh- is this taking place in contemporary Los Angeles, but it's constantly raining and it's always night. And there's a lot of different things going on. Obviously, if people don't know about it, it's a, a season-long horror story told by Mike Flanagan, who directed uh, Ouija 2 and Gerald's Hush Game. and Gerald's Game. is probably my favorite horror director working right now. Uh, and it tells the story of this uh, of this family living who grew up in this... I mean, obviously haunted house in New England, and then basically all the trauma that they experienced in that house, how that kind of impacted them going forward in their lives. Sam, why did you? Love I mean, the show? I I I have to second a lot of what you just said, especially because I, I know you're a fan of horror. I'm yeah. a fan of horror, but this was done in such an elevated way. Like it was really smart because it was actually more about family and trauma, and and then the horror elements sort of sneak in when it was in those sort of more dramatic moments. Then all of a sudden, it would it would mix in the genre really well. But the one thing that I think just landed for me the most about this show is the the, the directing. Talk about yeah. talk about being specific. I mean, right down to the performances. Yeah. I mean, he just em- really embraced a certain vision, a certain tone, and he really at every fr- every frame, every line of dialogue, uh, the way it was performed it was all considered in this really specific way it, it, it just it was really good really if, if this season, Re- really singular yeah and it features one of the virtuoso directing episodes of the year where it's essentially shot like a play it's in a funeral home the whole family is kind of gathered mm. for a funeral and he shoots it in a series of inc- i think that it, it's supposed to be one long take the entire episode but he obviously <laughs> is like how pretentious yeah you know, i know seriously <laughs> Gee, yeah. uh sam so that was your number nine that was number nine number nine you got you gotta go my number nine is forever on amazon that's that, that's god we're so that close yeah i think we're gonna have list. a lot of the same ones so why did you so like forever nine, so much? that's my number eight Forever was the show from Alan Yang, who did Master of None uh, with Aziz Ansari, and uh, this time he worked with Matt Hubbard, who had worked on 30 Rock. It stars uh, Maya Rudolph and Fred Armisen. I was really surprised and delighted by this show. Uh, They did a great job of hiding the balls Mm -hmm. in terms of what it's really about, so there's no real reason to spoil it here. Just know that it it is a very well-designed show for the streaming and binging era. Mm -hmm. The first two episodes are very distinct and very enjoyable and don't necessarily tip their hand as to what you're in for in the following eight. I really like and admire Master of None, and I think some episodes have been truly brilliant. But the one thing that sort of kept me back a little bit from the show has been a disbelief of the emotional 
life of the show. It's a little chilly to me often. And I think sometimes the episodes I found impressive but not moving. And for whatever reason, this show took that same aesthetic. I think it's it's a beautiful-looking show yeah. shot in um, anamorphic, I believe, as Sam told me when I was trying to understand what anamorphic meant. <laughs> when you were shooting anamorphic. When you were shooting anamorphic. <laughs> um, it looks great. I mean, it's so annoying it, when Andy's, you know, on set saying, what are these black yeah. bars at the top and bottom? Do, do you guys know there's different lenses? <laughs> what? Side story. Sam was very kind on a Sunday before we shot to have a 50-minute conversation I, with I, me explaining ratios walk. and aspect ratios and what things meant and what it looked like so and what it Andy, would mean. there's a screen. And then at the end of it, at the end of 50 minutes, I was like, thank you for this. I, I really appreciate it. You're such a good mentor. This is what we're going to do. We're going to go for it. And he says, I should say... I would never use anamorphic <laughs> but we did. We anyway, did. Uh, I, I just—it's a really surprising, funny meditation on long-term relationships yeah. and what that might mean. And I think that the key to the show is also understanding the talent of its leads. Maya Rudolph is rightfully adored by American culture, but I think this is her finest performance in many ways because it's a quieter performance. Mm-hmm. And they also understand that Fred Armisen is best um, as a supporting player. Uh, and I mean that genuinely. I think he's wonderful in this role. It was a really surprising and sweet show that did you, I, I did watched you see really it? quickly. I did. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't like it. I liked. I think I liked the first half of it better than the second half. There's something about it that made it personally. I felt like it was like happening inside of TV. Like it didn't really feel that resonant to me or or related to. Re- I, I mean, obviously, it's not related to. I, I don't want it to. It's hard to talk about without right, giving right, away right, what the right, show's right. about. But the second half of the show, I think, kind of lost me a little bit emotionally. It's because Chris is really into short-term relationships. <laughs> got it, got it. Chris <laughs> likes to keep it moving. <laughs> what, right. what, what, what did you think? That's why I have so many other podcasts. It's true. Uh, number nine for oh, wait, yeah. did, did you have any thoughts on Forever? No, I, I, I. I'll just kind of. I second everything you said, and I also got to say, I, I'm a huge Fred Armisen fan. I'm a huge, huge, huge Maya Rudolph fan. But I really love Fred Armisen, and I was a huge fan of Portlandia, and. I do think he, you know, he's got some. I mean, here it's there's some real chops there. There's mm-hmm. some real dramatic heft that yes. he brought to the part, and I think that's a large testament to the writing and directing as well. But I just really enjoyed the two of them, and I really enjoyed spending time. I mean, I think I binged it basically in two sittings. Yeah, I, bi- I, bin- I don't binge, but I binged that. Yeah. One. So number nine, that was forever for you. My, my number nine. My number nine is Narcos Mexico. Here we go. Yeah, I, I mean, I've talked about this. I've showed pretty recently, so I won't get too fully into it. Especially since I don't God, think- you really have you seen every season? Yeah, yeah. And you really, it's, yeah. I whole, think the first two seasons, I would say, I I didn't enjoy like ironically or anything, but it was more like background. Like I was kind of like, oh, this is like a really good like thriller, you know. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to see how they're telling it. And then the last two seasons, I think the third was a huge step. It's kind of like a spy thriller. And then this one, I think, is legitimately great. I think uh, Diego Luna gives like an absolutely I love him. Aw- awesome He's performance so as Felix Gallardo. And um, I t- had Eric Newman come in a couple weeks ago to talk about the season, and he had mentioned that they really were trying to use Costa Garvis as a visual palette, like as a visual template for how they were shooting the season. And I think it just... You can really see where the money goes, man. Like you can really see that. that like this is a, obviously set in Mexico, but is it? Did they just go all they over? They shot, yeah. They shot in Mexico, and they shot they shot all over Mexico. And, and there's a couple of standout episodes. I, so if you guys, if you were ever on the fence about Narcos, this would be a great place to start because you you know while there are some references to past seasons, you can just kind of get right into it. And I just thought that they did a remarkable job. See, with the here, seasons. this is an example of what I'm talking about because this is a show that I really 
had a great time watching the first season. Yeah. And for whatever reason, and maybe it's because of the anthology nature of it, although the second season was actually a continuation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, first but two I, were continuations, and then the third is still in Colombia, but is a different story. Different story. But I just never, for whatever reason, never went back to it, yeah. and I don't know why. I, don't I know think why that, that, that is going to—I think that I would be curious to know anecdotally— how often that happens? Do with you Netflix know a shows? lot of people that keep talking about yes. that, that do talk about narcos well, yeah. specifically? Yeah. I think this is an interesting. It's an it's an interesting test case because for me, the reason I didn't go back to it is well, two things. One, just it looked beautiful and it was well done, but narratively, I thought it was Wikipedia the series in that it was just right. Boyd Holbrook telling us things that happened and then showing us the things that happened. I think this is definitely more interesting to me because not just the the stylistic references Chris is saying that the, the show embraced, but the cast. Um, Diego Luna is a terrific actor, but also I have a little bit of Escobar fatigue. <laughs> that is a story. Those are characters mm-hmm. that are to, are recreated often in culture, and something about moving the show to Mexico, which is a more recent. I mean, with more recent history, mm-hmm. a more pressing issue, a country that I'm more interested in. I just think that it, it's a chance to start over, which is probably why, as Chris continues to insist, despite Netflix, he's not getting any paycheck from this. But <laughs> he insists this is not Narcos season four. <laughs> this is Narcos colon Mexico. Right. So uh, I, we'll let's check be it clear. Out. All right. Forever Narcos. Yours well, was. Well, where, what number? What was your I'm nine? Like, I, I, my nine was Haunting of Hill House. Okay. So what's your eight? My eight is Forever. So we're so okay. on seven. What's your eight? Barry. Barry. We're doing great, guys. My eight is the good fight. Oh wow! Yeah, the good, fight. great, yeah. great job. Wait, First, wait, wait! I literally do not know. Good if fight I know is, is the spinoff show of, the, show of the Good Wife. Oh right, right, right! It's on right, CBS All right. Access. Okay, I think do it's. You, do you have CBS All Access? I do because I also it? get it for. I this is gonna this is a TMI maybe, but I like to watch Survivor in bed. Is, what is Survivor in Bed? <laughs> <No>. <laughs> that's a CBS yeah, that show. Sounds, it's actually it's, well, it's a CBS. You know how there's that Peter Berg movie. There's that Peter Berg movie, Lone Survivor. Uh huh. So it's about that guy, but he's just in bed now. <laughs> he's just fucking. <laughs> no, no. I like to watch the, the reality show Survivor before in, in I go bed. to bed. Oh, in bed. My wife and I, we watch it on Wednesday nights. And there's no way you could do this without a subscription service that also gets you Star Trek episodes. I also get the good fight. There's something else missing here, but <laughs> we'll figure it out. Go on. Um, so I, I just w- would say that this is the best Trump show out. Like, there, there's not a lot of, sh- there's a sh- lot of shows that have tried to deal with Trump explicitly or subtly. This show actually takes it head on and is about the fever dream of the last two years. So much so that this season is about Diane Larkhart, played by our patron saint, uh, Christine Bransky. She's great. She does a great job. She's microdosing psilocybin <laughs> and having <laughs> visions of, of Trump. And is in, no. and also her character is being persecuted by the Trump administration as, is, is being I, like— I'm sorry. This is a television show that you have to pay to watch in bed yes. about Christine Bransky <laughs> microdosing yes. LSD. I'm serious. Wow. Wait, can you? I have this no podcast reference is so, yeah, she, so, so I know. She stars as this woman, Diane Larkin. So it's a psychedelic drug. She had been apparently, uh, at the law firm with Juliana Margulies. But character is, the in the tone, good fight. is the tone similar to the good? Slightly different. Wife. I think it's a little bit. It, so it also is Diane Larkin has left this firm that she was, she had sort of was a partner at, and joined this predominantly black f- firm. Uh, in Chicago, and it changes all sorts of things about like the kinds of cases that she's working on. A lot of police brutality cases, a lot of corruption cases, and then as this firm is sort of gaining a a, a, a higher, bigger and bigger reputation, they come under the glare of the 
attorney general's office and start getting into fights with Trump, the Trump administration. But, uh, and, but it explicitly, it's about Trump. It's not like there's a president that everybody's right, scared right, of. It's right, like right. the Trump administration is doing this. There's work with the DNC. There's stuff about the P-tape. There's stuff about all this stuff. So it's probably one of the most witty, elegantly written shows on TV. Wow. And I highly recommend wow. it. Have you seen this, Andy? Well, no, he doesn't have CBS All Access. Yeah, because he just watches Survivor in his living room. (laughs) (laughs) Never seen an episode of Survivor. Okay, so Good Fight is eight. Sam, what's your seven? My seven is Better Call Saul. Mine too. One of the only— Is yours number seven? Five. Okay. Okay. I mean— But we've talked about Saul forever, so you you do it. You tell us why Saul is Here's here's my take on Saul. The craftsmanship is at a level that's unparalleled. Mm -hmm. You you guys have probably said the same thing. The directing, the writing, the performances, it's just— a pluses all around. I personally could not care less about the story. And so and and that is the tension that I have mm-hmm. with the show. I watch it every week. I'm completely marveled by what they can pull off, what they can do and and I don't know if I care that much about the story and I don't know why and and I think it's like a subjective thing, but I give them a lot of credit for the craft. I mean, for me to not really be that engaged yeah. with the story but yet still be obsessed to watch an episode every week, I mean, that's pretty amazing. And um, and obviously I'm in the minority because I think it's like a huge, obviously a huge success. I think it's AMC. also a, it's an interesting example of a show that's still on a cable network and has like a weekly following mm-hmm. but is every year... I think it balloons because people are binging it on Netflix. Absolutely, and, yeah. it's, and it's it's following that model that I think Mad Men and Breaking Bad used so well, which is you basically in the off season that's where you get your your following, and then you come back with a season that kind of satisfies millions of people who are like I've been I just watched four seasons of this over the weekend. And I think Better Call Saul is well served by that. I mean, we talked about it this yeah. year that we both missed season three until it hit Netflix, and we're able to watch it in a way that sort of allows you to to fall into its rhythm. Because if you're watching it week to week, and it's like, well, they the Germans dug a hole. Well, the Germans knocked yeah, down Kim part of the hole. Kim put some post-its on like, a window. What are we watching? But yeah. then when you see the totality of it, it's more And thrilling. maybe maybe that's maybe that's the way I should be. Because I do watch it week to week. And so I do watch a whole episode where at the yeah. end I'm like, oh, okay, so they— That was they, the thing. They, they dug a hole. Yeah. Or, and or, then they got a beer. Mike, they got a beer, Mike though. became <laughs> a, couple beers. a security guy at the company <laughs> yeah. for some reason that, you know, and I— don't care about that, but it's done so well. I care about that. There's a moment this season that I we won't spoil it because it's not really it doesn't really matter. But there's Mike is trying to lose someone who's tailing him, right? And so what do you do? And this struck me as a moment that is so. I just find it so thrilling as someone who's been in writers' rooms and hopes to be in them again. Like, okay, so you know you want someone to lose a tail, so start pitching. What's your way out of this? What's the most creative way out of it? Because they've all been done, right? And on Better Call Saul. It, it, it involves Mike chewing six pieces of gum and like <laughs> making a fake gummy security card in a parking lot to gum up the parking machine yeah. after he exits. Yeah. I love stuff like that. Yeah. It, the thought behind every single thing is what really elevates the show. Side note, I wonder if the show will be better served, if this is a workable model. If you guys noticed that AMC is offering, and I don't think they do it for Saul, but they did do it for Lodge 49. Where they're putting the, the series Girl. up on... AMC yes, Plus or yes, whatever. And They're, you can watch the whole thing. So AMC is offering like a over-the-top okay. additional service. It's not even that. It's I have— so You I have, have to pay for it, obviously. You pay $4.99 on top of your cable subscription to unlock the, their app where you can watch all their shows without commercials and, in some cases, watch, watch the whole season from the day that— The, the first ex- episode. Exactly. Premieres. Hmm, um, so they're trying to strike a balance between the pay cablers and the streamers. It's interesting to watch. Okay, so let's reset for a second. That was your number seven? Yeah, and, and my number seven. And uh, your number seven, yes. and it's nine over five. 
So my number seven was Howard's End. Totally missed Which, it. Wish I hadn't. The only thing I'm going to say here is that— Were you I, a big I, Merchant Ivory? My like, father was. I, so, I was. And I actually— His, his dad, probably. the film critic for the Philadelphia Inquirer, was thrown out those four stars for Merchant yeah, Ivory and films. He, and I actually think contributed a little bit to some of my, like, fuck that, I like Repo Man part of it, <laughs> is because my dad would, would come home and be like, what tripe? And I would be like, I want to watch that because I don't want to watch Remains of the Day again. You know what I mean? Like, and, which, and now, in retrospect, I go back and see some of those Merchant Ivory movies, and you're like, Jesus, those are incredible. Can I just quickly say something? Because I don't like costume dramas. I don't yeah. like costume dramas. And I remember back in the day when I was young, and I was, I was trying to get into, like, well, what is a good film? Because it, when I was a kid, I just loved what I liked like you know repo man obviously was definitely on my list back to the future you know, a bunch of other stuff groundhog day and so i would watch because every merchant i mean those string of merchant ivory yeah. films were always nominated for best picture always nominated for all the cat you know so i'd watch them and i just i thought oh maybe i can't i can't be a filmmaker because i i don't n- not only do i not like this I don't even understand yeah. the value of what, why would you, why would well, you anybody don't like period like pieces this? at all? At all. Yeah. Then last night, I saw The Favorite. Last night? I saw The it New Yorkers. Yes. Flick. It's have you guys great. seen it? I, have, I was going to no. see it. It is, it is amazing. Yeah, wow. I can't wait to see it. It is amazing. And I'm a huge Yorgos fan, but I was going in very skeptical because yeah. it's obviously ticks off you all the like boxes. You don't like bodices. No corsets. I, mm-hmm. Oh my God. It's so, it's so subversive. I think he's kind of trolling period dramas. Yeah. You got to check it out. Anyway, okay. So there's, there's I would just my say aside. Howard's End. If I if it, maybe you're not into corsets, but are you into Kenneth Lonergan? I love Kenneth. Right. He, he oh, is this, is this his show? Yeah. Oh my God. Well, I'm the in. only thing I would I'm say, in. and we'll probably have this discussion a couple more times. So we don't have to have it now. Is I would hear the argument that this is. It's weird to say. Am I going li- to like this? You, you know like me. It. It's really, really good. It's really Howard's good. End is you is, saw it? No, but it's the Haley book Atwell. is great. The first movie is great. It's great source material. Okay. Yeah, it's it's phenomenal. Right. Um, and it's, you know, if you don't know, it's basically a turn-of-the-century England, and uh, it's about class, and it's about um, the, you know, it, the difficulties. Were you a big Downton Abbey fan? First season, I liked a lot. This podcast began as a Downton, Downton Abbey. This is a Downton Abbey fan account. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so Howard's End is my seven. Now What's your six? What do you have for it's six, a, six? It's me, me again. End of the fucking world. Okay, good. I'm glad somebody put that on their yeah, list. Yeah, that's like that's 11 on for your, me. Not, that, was oh, on my, wow. that was on my long list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I love the runtime. <laughs> <laughs> that was like 21 um, minutes, right? Let's, that was yeah. let's talk about that for a yeah. second. You know, we haven't even talked about Homecoming being, you know, a half hour drama, yeah. essentially. When did you sort of realize that, like, that was something that you wanted to do? And what is it about End of the Fucking World that kind of did that? Maybe not inspire it, but what, no, what are you responding it, to? No, we were already in production when that show came out. But I, 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 what inspired it was the podcast was half an hour. And there was this weird autumn. I remember when we were developing it, there was this weird automatic, okay, so it's going to be an hour-long drama. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be 50 minutes. And, you know, so how do we extend and expand the story? I'm like, whoa, ho, 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 ho. What, why, are, why are we doing that? That makes no sense. It served so served the story so well in the podcast format to keep it a half hour. Plus, I wanted I really wanted to keep those therapy sessions intact. Mm-hmm. And I thought if you start extending that out to an hour, I think you're going to wear people out. So I just and I, it was just to me it just never occurred to me that dramas had to be a half hour because I, I in fact there was a show that I, I reference a lot when I talk about Homecoming was in Treatment. Did you guys ever see that? Show? I did. Yeah. I loved that show, and it was a half-hour drama. And again, I don't even remember that being like a groundbreak, necessarily a groundbreaking thing. But I think nowadays with TV evolving so rapidly, it's like who cares if one episode's—and in the case of End of 
the fucking world isn't an episode like I think there was one episode that was like 18 minutes or something. Yeah, yeah. and then that's, Maniac did that too where yeah. there's a couple of Maniacs that are like 32 minutes and then there's a couple that are I just love that it that the runtime can just be dictated by the story be- and there's no that there's no arbitrary role to hit anymore be- because we are absolutely uh, coming out of a, a, a period where you can tell shows that shouldn't have been an hour or shouldn't be 13 episodes. Or like, 13, yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. You know, and, yeah. And, and I mean, I don't want to dunk on them like everyone else has, but some of those Marvel shows on Netflix probably bore the brunt of it where Jessica Jones had a great performance, great writing, great idea, great everything, but I don't think there's 26 hours of story there necessarily. Sure. You know, And similarly with Luke Cage, it's exciting for TV if the, if the, the, the vessel can be malleable to match what's inside of it. Yeah, I mean, even when we made the decision to end Mr. Robot, one of the th- one of the things that I did after we wrapped the third season and went into the writers room for the fourth season, I said, "Look, you know, because we knew where the ending was, I was like, let's just figure out how many episodes it takes to get to from where we're at to the ending. Let's not add any kind of fluff in between. Let's yeah. just let's just tell the story we want to tell. And I think a lot of times we miss that point because I, I and you'll you know like in the writers room, it's a lot of times it's like okay, well, well, how can we do this this week? It's like it, it's almost like there's a, an incentive to just keep dragging things out. I think a lot um, of shows also just uh, there, there's two kinds of things. There, I mean, like I'm sure. I think Mr. Robot fans would probably be fans of the story of Mr. Robot. Then there's other shows where people just become fans of characters and become and they just want those characters in their lives. Like I would argue say something like Veronica Mars is something that you would just want to spend time with those people in that world. And that's why those shows I think get rebooted, get re- continued, you know, not 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 past their usefulness, but that's why they're such a You're like, talking about like procedurals. But See, there's like is- the ta- even like Grey's Anatomy or I don't even know, like, I just was thinking about this a lot recently with the amount of stuff that people are rebooting and bringing back, like Northern Exposure is coming back. And I think a lot of that stuff is like, oh, yeah, like, you know, people have, like, real deep attachments to certain characters. I think you could consider the creation of the term sit drama, right? Like, there's Uh there's sit dramas and there's story dramas. The idea of a sit drama being a situational drama where, much like Cheers, you just want to hang out in the bar. There are dramas... You know, and I would even consider Mad Men to be considered this way too, where it's like you just want to be with these people in their office as history happens around them, you know, slinging banter mm-hmm. between each other. But I also it's want pleasant to be there. But I also want every episode to feel to relevant yeah, and, to count. and and, and to, yeah, yeah, and like feel like oh, I cannot miss this. There are a lot of shows out there that you you can miss five episodes and jump in, and I don't get that. I personally, it's funny don't too because like that. when you make that turn for the home stretch is when. I think that the scrutiny on your show changes a little bit. I think it happened to Lost. I think it's happening to Thrones. Is that when you kind of announce that, like, hey, we're going to wrap it up soon, people start watching the show in a different way mm-hmm. because it's like— Every moment Every is moment is supposed precious. to be going towards this one point rather than, oh, it, it's cool if you guys want to go fight a bear in the woods for two episodes and that doesn't actually matter to, like, right. who sits on the throne well, at the end. Well, everything—the thing about TV now, especially as there's so many choices, people feel very strongly that everything should matter. If they're investing their time in it, Well, think it about what matter. you're saying because you're, now you're saying there are shows where everything doesn't matter. You can come in. You can go out. You, can, yes, you know what I mean? there are. And I think and, that that's a different I'm, use of television. Yeah, I guess I don't get that. That feels like you're just trying to— Distract me for a while. But what every kind of week? But that's tele- that was supposed to be television. That was supposed like to be te- By the way, years. by the way, let me just confess. Yeah, I was not a huge fan of television growing up. True. Well, I, what's I, the most, I that's that's well, fascinating. But well, what's the most popular show on Netflix? It's Friends. 
I, I, it's still friends. Right. You know, that is still the way the majority of the people in the country right. watch TV, the way they think of TV, the purpose TV serves for them. But what we're talking about, both I our got, list with a lot of new shows and about like what we want from these things, you know is what a I do further a lot of? tearing. Two Americas, guys. I'll I watch cut fr- to it. I watch Friends in Bed. <laughs> Friends. So There's your favorite things are Survivor in Bed and Friends in Bed. It's like a fortune cookie game. I know you're not supposed awry. to have the laptop in bed, but it happens. Wow. But so guys, you just find, you, you wake up, you feel a heat on your Is chest. Is there not a TV in the bedroom? No. Like, no. No. I no, mean, we could have one, but we were smart. like, we don't want to make that step. But then, like, yeah, it's kind of easy to just have, like watch a few minutes of Scruggs, S- throw, it, throw it in the side. Did you say Scruggs? Yeah, I like getting Buster Scruggs in Is, bed, too. Is, <laughs> can I pitch NBC on Scruggs? <laughs> it's Tom Waits working at a hospital. Yeah. 21 minutes we should just say End of the Fucking World a really fun great show. really yeah, fast yeah, yeah, binge sorry. we both really liked it we talked about it a lot the direction by Jonathan Entwistle I think and we Lucy did Cherniak, more terrific. podcasts about that show like hours wise yes. than the actual show last <laughs> the, the, by it, the way the actual show if you watch it all in one sitting shorter than the last Mission Impossible film in runtime as rewarding I, I don't know I mean I, I, I just find, I, I just think it's interesting because it yeah. literally I mean I know this is to the chagrin of a lot of critics out there but it really does feel feel like you're watching and, and I don't remember the episodic structure of End of the Fucking World because I did watch it all in one it's stretch in January yeah yeah but it just felt like this just I don't are they making a second they season? they are they just announced I, I'm interested. I'm curious. Hmm. Is Wolf Blitzer in End of the Fucking World? <laughs> so that's that's the deciding so wait, for me. End of the Fucking World was your number what? Uh, hold on. Six, I believe. Yes, yeah, six. So my number six is Barry. Your number six is... Glow. Oh. Anybody else have Glow? I, I do, do not. not. I love Glow. I think it is consistent, like consistent, like consistently not just entertaining, but truly impressive the way they juggle in a large cast. Sunita is amazing. <laughs> Mr. Robot alum, Sunita Trend. is terrific. The cast is phenomenal. I yeah. think Alison Brie deserves being mentioned up there with any of the great performers on television. What did you think of the episode within an episode? Oh, where they did their episode. I thought where it was the terrific. Whole episode the, was a, yeah. There's an episode that sort of is meant to be an episode of the show they're making. Yeah. It was hilarious. It was creative. It was inspired. There is something that segues nicely from the previous conversation we just had. There is something kind of old-fashioned about this. This is an ensemble comedy that immediately and deftly makes you care about all of the characters and be excited to see them in these different interactions. And it's, But it's combined with a very modern twist, which is that it has this big idea behind it of this wrestling show. And so you can literally explore conflict between characters by having them wrestle in a very meta way, which I appreciate. I think the show keeps pushing forward, um, both in terms of what it can accomplish as a half-hour TV show, as evidenced by the episode Sam mentioned, but also about very contemporary issues. I also have to say, because I know we're going to talk about another show later on, so I'm just going to... Uh, Here it comes. Yeah, well, I'm just going to say, Glow does, does not care that their characters are unlikable. You know, it, 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 and, and this feels some, like a prologue. A lot, feels like I, a it, it is a prologue. And, um, but I will say, like, I'm, I'm very compelled by all the characters, even though, yeah, they're, they're not afraid to let them make bad choices. And I think that, that just makes me like the characters even more. But, but because they're so, you, you get to get inside their minds and you see that where their flaws are and you see that they're afraid or vulnerable about it. I don't know. There's just something really compelling about that, I, I about think, the choices. I, th- I think the show is really instructive too in terms of how to make, um, you know, I, I'm looking at my list and I feel like it is not super inclusive list. I think the majority of the shows are made by and created by men. I think Glow, which is showrun and was created by two women, shows a way forward for female-centric storytelling that these characters 
don't apologize for having a wide range right. of emotions. Mm-hmm. Their interactions are entirely within this group, and Mark Maron, but entirely <laughs> within this group of women in ways that are very basic, very fundamental, not necessarily groundbreaking in terms of the content of their conversations and relationships, but honestly, unfortunately, groundbreaking for what we see on television. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by the big homies at Sonos. Meet the Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV and the newest addition to the easy-to-use home sound system. I love my Sonos Beam. I've had it for a little while, and man, it really has just, to quote the Big Lebowski, it ties the room together. It basically brings sports to life. It feels like you're sitting courtside when you're watching basketball, or if you're watching movies or TV, it really, like, especially for the bigger shows like Westworld, it just brings, like, a kind of, like, 3D vibrancy to the sound, and it really brings the shows to life. Beam lets you play everything you love, from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more. Even use AirPlay to enjoy sound from your iPhone or iPad on Beam. All with rich sound that fills the room. You can enjoy deep bass and detailed stereo separation for music, plus crystal clear dialogue for TV and movies All it takes is one cord to connect Beam to your TV. The Sonos app walks you through setup step-by-step, and you get hands-free control with built-in Alexa. That way you can start a playlist, skip tracks, and pause simply by asking out loud. Plus, when you connect your Sonos speakers over Wi-Fi, you can put speakers in different rooms and listen to two things at the same time. It's the best part about this whole thing. is like you can be watching Die Hard in one room and NPR in the other. You live in the dream. You can also send sound from your TV everywhere so you never miss a second of the action. So if you're going to grab a snack, you can still hear the game you're watching really easily. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system. That's Sonos, S-O-N-O-S dot Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by Microsoft Surface. Let's talk about something super exciting. It's the newest member of the Microsoft Surface family, the Surface Pro 6, now faster and more powerful than ever before. So you can get even more done, whether it's from your office, at the airport, or on your couch. Take the keyboard off and draw on it easily, or snap it back on and type on it like a laptop. With up to 13 and a half hours of battery life and the new 8th gen Intel Core processor, you can work how you want to, for as long as you want to, wherever work takes you. Today's episode of The Watch is brought to you by ADT. ADT can design and install a smart home just for you, backed by 24-7 protection. Explore the vast number of things you can do with your secure smart home, such as doorman service, which is an ADT automation that unlocks the door for packages, friends, or your kids, or turndown service, an ADT automation that arms your system, locks your doors, and turns down your lights and thermostat. There's my favorite one, worry-free getaway service, which lets you arm your system, lock up, and set lighting schedules before you go on vacation. It's all controlled from the ADT app or the sound of your voice and backed by 24-7 protection. And do not worry about installing or configuring your system. ADT will D-I-F-Y do it for you. Just visit ADT.com smart to learn more about how ADT can design and install a secure smart home just for you. So that was your number five. Six. So that was your number six. What was your number six? You did my, your, your, my your number Barry. six is Barry. Your, that was your number six. My number five mm-hmm. is Better Call Saul. What's your number five? Escape at Denara. Yeah. Oh, dog. yeah. Let's that's get a, that's into a it. favorite of the Watch podcast. Oh, yeah. Did you? I mean, I have. So this is a show. So I have a little asterisk because I've only seen two episodes. Mm-hmm. Holy shit. I think Ben Stiller directed the hell out of this, but the performances, Patricia Arquette. Benicio del Toro, Paul Yo, Dano, Dano is out of his mind in this show. Oh my god! And Dan- I love- Dano's got that like '70s Hoffman vibe. Swole in this show. Dano, yeah, 
I just love how it takes its time to establish the place. It does take and, its time. And uh, <laughs> are you are you is that a criticism? See, this is this is what I mean. In I the know. in the in the vein that I love the end of the fucking world for being really short and breezy. You just don't like jail. I just <laughs> who likes jail? Lots I, of people love watching shows in jail. I think this show when they are in themselves in jail. I'm sure they're very popular in there, but <laughs> Sorry, did you but, like the prison stuff in Night of? Um, I like. I, like, <laughs> I thought Oz had like its Oz? moments. Go, sorry, Zane. I just I just thought the show I just thought the show needed that long running time. For me, there was a lot about the atmosphere that you couldn't have done. That the and I think Ben Stiller did a phenomenal job. And whoever that cinematographer is, she's she, terrific. She, Jessica, she, yeah, yeah. Oh my god, yeah. she's amazing. And it just really had a, a sense of place and time. It, I just thought it. Was, I, I just think it's it really it, so it, actually it partners. In, well, with what I was saying about Narcos, which is that this is an example of kind of where television production has gotten, where that just does not look like Atlanta or Clover right. City. Not Atlanta, right. the show, but Atlanta, right. like a, like, a, yeah. mm-hmm. like a shot in Atlanta where right. yeah. it, it's just like you shot that the shit out of it in upstate New York, and it looks like it's freezing, and all the yeah, characters are freezing, and, and you can just you tell. You could not, like, it's let really me just, because you're being critical about the runtime, I'm looking at Andy, uh, watch, watch listeners. Um, you could not do that. In, in half hour segments. You could not do that in 40 minute episodes. No, that's right. I mean, but he doesn't even structure I, it like a television show at all. It's an no, interesting, I, I think you it, could make the argument that this is almost a nine and a half hour movie it, mm-hmm. because yeah. it really does feel like even ex- each episode picks up. I think, that's, really, I think yeah. that's my criticism of it, which isn't really criticism. It's that I found it unwieldy. That's not even a necessarily negative thing. You know, Twin Peaks to Return was unwieldy and it was right. the best show of last year. I really admired it, and I really like it, and the performances are on another just on another on. galaxy. Come on, but uh, yeah, I guess I just, in terms of getting my arms around it, it didn't fit onto my list. But it it would have been on my long list. Okay, for sure. so that was your number five. Yep. Right. right. What's your number I'm five? I'm holding five for Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. I assume <laughs> okay. it'll either climb or fall. Right. Just to say, guys, the show's coming back. Don't sleep on it. It's incredible. Rachel Brosnahan is up there with Alison Brie and Brian Tyree Henry is the best actress on television. So my number five is Better Call Saul. My number four was Killing Eve. Okay. That's my number two. Ooh, what about you, Sam? Not on my list. Yeah! Wow! Not on my list. What are you missing out on here? Come on! I I, I enjoyed Killing Eve. I thought it was really funny, and I, I don't know. It, maybe you're saying criticism of Escape. I don't know. There was something... I don't know. It didn't... It didn't well, well, we should be more positive than forcing you to be negative. What do you mean? Well, yeah, yeah. We, talk, we, we, talk, we, talk about killing you. Yeah. I, I think that in the— By in the way, the, uh, who plays the assassin? I mean, Sandra Oh is brilliant. Jodie Comer. I mean, she's, she's awesome. She's what phenomenal. A yeah. Holy shit. The, I think Killing Eve is the success story of the year, but also the, the tightrope act of the year. The first three hours, which were the ones that clearly Phoebe Waller-Bridge were, was credited for as the writer and was clearly the most involved in— are three of the best hours of TV of this year and could be held up against TV of any of the last five years, for sure. Then, as the season goes on, I didn't love it any less, but it became more of a TV show. It definitely, you felt the break starting to go on a little bit as they realized or as they got excited about the cat and mouse game becoming a much longer cat and mouse game, which creates its own sets of, of risk. Now, Barry similarly set up, put itself in a position that felt untenable and seemed ready to jump off the ledge, but in a different way, in that Barry sort of forced the issue at the end of the season, and now we don't know what we're waiting for next when we next we join them. And Killing Eve, it could come back, and it could be like, well, we've just missed each other again, Batman, <laughs> yes. and then it becomes a TV show. By the a way, good TV show. By the way, but a less in, in the same way that we talked about Barry, and the, and and actually, to, to a positive extent, how Barry does not take the assassin trope 
just on a superficial level mm-hmm. that there is like this is another assassin show. This is another assassin show, but do you think it treated its assassin with that same? Because there were moments where where that character mm-hmm. they were going to go there with her, but then it turns out she's lying or making fun. What you know? She's I didn't pretending. think that. And so then I never really got a beat on her. And again. I admire the hell out of that performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, it is off the charts brilliant. Yeah. I just don't know if I ever got a beat as to what the human motivation Yeah, and I think maybe they'll get there. more. Like, they sure. get into it sort of t- towards the back end of that first season. I think that Barry is a show that essentially uses the mechanics of improv comedy as a drama tool. So mm-hmm. it's just like, and then what? And then what? Mm-hmm. And then yes, what? And, and it's like, right. keep pushing it and pushing it and pushing yes and, right? Killing Eve is just a story about obsession. I, I adored the show, but I think that it actually got to the logical conclusion of that story. Right. Where it's like, this is what happens when you're actually put in this absolutely insane situation with somebody you're obsessed with, but is actually quite dangerous. Well, it's you also know? deeply, I think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is much more interested in the politics of female friendship and and to be a woman in the workplace and to be a woman in the world and to be a woman in relationships than she is necessarily in the geopolitical game of assassination. Right, they're adapted which from is a series awesome. of novels that are like, you know, more pulpy, I think, right? Like, yeah. So it, it, it's it's an example of what's great about TV in this era where you can have an auteur creator follow his or her bliss and show us what interests him or her using the framework of a different sort of story. Where that goes once it becomes pushed into a tighter framework remains to be seen. So that was my four, Sam. Wait, but um, by the way, was that your... Two, number two. Yeah. Oh, I wonder what your one is now. Because I, like I, thought, I thought I, I knew what your number two is. What's your oh, four? My number four, Little Drummer Girl. You too? Yes, oh my yes. God. That's my number four. Yeah, is that your four? No, it's my number three. Whoa. Can I, just I didn't say, know you watched it. Oh my God. Over the weekend. It's incredible. I'm obsessed. I love Florence Pugh. I think yes. she's amazing. I mean, Michael Shannon. May, this is my favorite Michael Shannon performance. Uh, Can you just t- talk to us about Punch I mean, and Wook, though, man? First of all, that, der- oh, come on. This is a guy, and I don't know how he directs, but it just feels like he knows what shot he's going to use yes. for every no moment and every You know scene. what it reminded me of in that way? It was like the Nick. Yes. And yeah. it was like, yeah. I have an idea, an idea for every single moment right. of this show. Right. Not like coverage, not, no. hey, what I'm going to do is this, and then we'll get coverage. Like, no, it's not like, at all. I know exactly what I'm doing. This is the design of the room. This is the way people are positioned in the room. From this line to this line, we're going to do this with the camera, and then and then right right after that line, we're going to do. It's just it's so considered. Which, by the way, speaks to a director who not only has a visual sensibility but a storytelling sensibility, because there's clearly an understanding of where this line is going to play. I want to play this line on this character's face. I don't want to play this line on this character's face, which I think is probably more common with someone like you, Sam, who's a writer and director you know how you want to portray right. each line. I also want to say, and this is super post-making the pilot, the production design on this show is, is, is just out of this world. Yeah. Also, it is I, so gorgeous. Yeah. There's another specific. thing, though, which is th- really important, is that this isn't something that they had a script and then they brought in a cool director who was like, I'm going to just make this look really cool. Every shot, all these dizzying Verti- uh, vertigo-inducing shots that he does. Did you want to say does. vertiginous? No, I didn't. I almost <laughs> I did. They actually tie into the story. It's all about yeah. losing yourself in these multiple identities that happens in intelligence work, that happens in espionage work. It's about all you see is these reflections of people. All you see is people behind glasses. In the and they, they're it totally plays up this very convoluted can story. I, can I ask about some, that that because. 
as as I remember you giving me a shellacking for season two of Mr. Robot, I, as I'm watching <laughs> Little Drummer Girl, I'm I'm Chris Chris Ryan's voice is in my head. Sure, you know the North Star because that's that's all he kept asking me about for season two. Mm-hmm. I have mm-hmm. no idea what I'm rooting for in the show. I don't know if I'm necessarily rooting for Michael Shant. I don't mm-hmm. I don't know what he's actually going after. And again, I'm only like yeah. three episodes in, but I'm just excited. I, I don't know if I understand everything. And I think you actually talked about it. I've read the novel review. three times and there are still parts of it <laughs> that I'm like, uh wait, couldn't they have just done something different here? Like it, it's it's I, definitely this like it has a dreamlike quality. Yeah. It has a certain theatrical, like, yeah. what if we put on a production, a play well, in the real world? Right. But you're kind of like, but, like, who would see him? And, 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 yeah. and the fact that Alexander Skarsgård is playing a guy, but that no one will see. He's not putting on, he's just talking her into yes. this relationship. I would just say that the yeah. second half of the season, that all comes back around. Okay. Yeah. I would also make an attempt perhaps flimsy to wrap my arms around a lot of what we're saying here, which is that three of the shows that we've all talked about and that we all really liked, um, Barry, Killing Eve, and Little Drummer Girl, all play in the space of politics and violence as theater or as performance Mm -hmm. and the boundaries between them or the appeal of those things. And if I was still in the think piece business, which I'm not, there does seem to be something Uh interesting to be taken here of like, in a time when the world isn't making sense and we cannot really wrap our arms around what's happening politically because because either we feel completely disenfranchised from it or it seems so insane and heightened, these shows, I think, are offering a way to kind of understand that disconnect, right, between violent acts and violent words, Absolutely. about the desire to be violent I mean, or I've not had, be violent. I, I think I've form. had a little bit of a crisis this year, as I'm sure most people have, with negotiating the fiction-like reality that we live in with fiction. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And sometimes you read things, especially about history— where you'll just be like, yeah, we watch all the president's men, and I'm just like, this is kind of a fable. Like I don't, I don't, <laughs> right. I don't know that. Yes, that right. Yeah. Nothing is going to come and save us here like right. this did, you know. Right. And and I, it's things are I think tidy when they've already this happened. show. You're absolutely right. You watch and you're like, oh yeah, like this is, this is this goes back historically way farther than we thought, and it also will affect us way into the future. Well, right. You could take, and this this comes to play in in the I believe in the third hour of Little Drummer Girl, where there's the argument between Charlie and I think it's between Charlie and Gotti, and basically she's saying, you know, what happens when the people who are oppressed become the oppressor? And she's trying to take a small segment, much Mm -hmm. like we do when we watch entertainment. Mm -hmm. We're like, that's the bad guy because we saw them do a bad Mm -hmm. thing. Let's see the bad guy get punished. And you get a visceral thrill if they're doing the storytelling right, if you're being manipulated in a successful way. The problem is you pull the aperture out or you, 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 you zoom out a little bit oh, well, maybe there was a reason for that. Maybe there was a reason. You have to keep going back and back and back, and that's not satisfying. So it's essentially a very satisfying drama about something deeply unsatisfying right. and impossible. That's really impressive. So that was your number four. Right. That's not my number three. Andy, what's your four? That was my number four. Number four. Okay, so my number uh, So number three, Sam, what's yours? Maniac. Okay, great. Not on your list. Not on our list, but close. Again, the directing and the choices were so specific. The world building. I mean, let's talk about world building because in a half hour drama for ten episodes, is it ten? Was it ten yeah. episodes? Ten. I just thought it was an incredible feat. And I, I personally, I know Jonah got a lot of criticism on his performance. I loved his performance. I thought Emma Stone was brilliant. I thought, I thought the writing was great. I mean, it was. And I will say this, probably one of the most creative shows I've ever seen. It just took every opportunity to 
imagine something new, something different, something that I haven't seen. And, you know, obviously the, the premise lends itself to that, but I, I just, I, I, yeah, I had a great, I, I think I binged it honestly, like in, in one sitting, I, I was obsessed with it. I'm glad we're talking about that show. Cause I still feel like there are two lessons to be learned from it, one good and one bad. And the bad lesson would be, let's make more high-priced TV shows that are put together as packages without any story and then see if things work out. They didn't do that. The story that I would pull out of the show is, okay, we have this opportunity. Let's go nuts. Let's try everything we can because of the advantages we're given that we're being left alone because of these stars and and because of Carrie's stature and because of the package that got put together. So I'm truly impressed by that, and I hope that the right lesson is learned from it. So that was your number two, Sam. No, number, that was number my three. three. Are you ready for three? Do we have the same number three? Or yours was Drummer Girl. Oh, yeah, mine's Drummer Girl. I think I know what's coming. Here it comes. Wait, this is your number three. Yes. Probably your number two. That's his number one, probably. Oh, is Look it? Look at his face. Oh, oh. Say the, say the word. <clears throat> well, like, <laughs> should I wind up a little bit? I'm not. First of all, you're looking at me like I have something to be ashamed of. This is the Roy well, gang. You, but can I say you— It's you, Succession. Yeah, succession I, is Andy's number but three. You, you told me that it wasn't going to be here. That's fine. That's did fine. I? Yeah, you did. You did. Wow. I, I have you to. stabbed him in the back just like— <laughs> I don't think I did. Like I think Logan I said it's in—I'm trying to decide. Interesting. Chris, why don't okay. you talk about Succession? Yeah, you talk here. about it. I know it's your number you, one, but yeah. I think it's time. All of this whole podcast, I think one of the main things we've been talking about is direction. Right, we talk, and I think it represents a major shift in the medium to be moving mm-hmm. towards auteurs like Sam, who are writing and directing a lot of their own stuff. Guys like Mike Flanagan, who are writing and directing a lot of their own stuff. Carrie Fukunaga, who directed Maniac. My most anticipated show of mm-hmm. next year is Mindhunter, which apparently Fincher and Andrew Dominic are splitting the direction. Yes. I mean, yes. I can't even. Jesus. Every can't time a new show comes up, I'm like, who who directed it? And that's not the case for Succession. Succession is basically a a. a a temple built to television writing. And I know that uh, we'll probably get into whether or not everybody here at this table likes it as much as I do. <laughs> They're talking about me, guys. But consistently surprising, deeply, deeply affected by the characters, completely involved in the this, in this story of itself. And I, I have not laughed harder since, since I think Jesse Armstrong's previous show, The Thick of It, uh, at a television show, but and I on, to that last point, I agree. I laughed so hard when the show was funny. Yeah, I did not care when it was not. Okay, and and that 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 was basically and you know to going back to unlikable characters because mm-hmm. we brought that up with Glow and there's a, plenty of other shows. I mean, I, and just sp- literally, let's just be explicit: uh, a, a greedy, evil capitalist mm-hmm. like probably the the best evil capitalist character in all fiction, Daniel Plainview, in my opinion, there will be blood. I mean, you couldn't be more unlikable, but he was compelling. He was really good at what he did. And just when you thought you had a beat on him, he was able to connive and be more, Mm. even more Mm -hmm. underhanded than you thought. I just wasn't impressed with any of these characters. Uh, Did I think the performances were outstanding? Absolutely. Did I think when it was being funny and satirical, Yes, mm-hmm. and I should I should say my wife loved it. Um, We've always been big fans of your wife. <laughs> <laughs> my wife uh, watched it every Sunday night the minute it came on the on demand. But when it became when it asked me to care, I found no reason to care or or find the character interesting. Yeah. I, I, and I still to this day I, I think because you know. Chris, Chris, Andy, and I actually talked quite a bit about this offline. Yeah, um, there's, there's I a still chat don't, I still don't. I still don't hear the reason. There's a lot I of things inside what you're saying. So there's one at one level. 
I don't think there's a way to litigate an emotional attachment to a television show. You either have it or you don't. I didn't have one. I don't have one with Glow. That's why it's not on my list. It's nothing against Glow. It's just never a show that's clicked with me. Mm-hmm. So I understand that. If you're talking about the competence of the characters. I'm talking about, are you rooting for Kendall? No. So when the, the show Sixers, asks, I don't need to root do for you, these Do guys. you care for Kendall? Do you yes, care about deeply. Why? Mm-hmm. Why, why I, do you care about them? I just find his, his, his especially his addiction story, to right. be remarkably well drawn. I, I think there's something to be to talk about here, which is not that, every addict is but, like but a that, genius. But that doesn't you know mean? mean. But that that's a different answer. To, that's not an answer to my question. So what's no? I want to. Why do you care about Kendall? Because his addiction. I, I, no, I'm, yeah, I'm no, ready. No, I'm, I'm ready to answer this. You go ahead. Yeah. The story of the last 10, 15 years of prestige Golden Age television is the story of highly competent, morally questionable men sure, in positions of power, sure. where we may loathe, or at least say that we loathe, the things that Don Draper or Walter White are doing, but you can't knock the hustle, because those guys are the best at what They're they great. do, even if what they Tony do isn't, Soprano. isn't very pretty. Yes. This is a show about— They're compelling characters. This is, this is a show about the end of the American century and failure. Yes. These guys are failures. Yes. All of them, in their own ways— are full of low self-loathing, I, I, disappointment, and regret. And when you talk about rooting for things or identifying with things, I can identify with aspects of all of these characters being put into situations where they're maybe not up to it, or they're self-doubting, or, or just the I'm sorry, I just it. rich white people who are incompetent, yeah. who are going through addiction problems, mm-hmm. who are not particularly good at anything. I'm not entirely <laughs> sure what— I don't— But look, if you want to satirize it— uh-huh. I'll laugh. What, I'll be right there. If you want to, I mean, and basically what we're talking about is Trump's, right? I mean, Kendall's basically, you know. They're fail He's kind of they're, an avatar for Donald Trump Jr., yeah. who I despise in sure. reality. Who I think that, je- I think the people I don't, who I will not care for him. Would, disagree, would not say that. I don't well, think may, that, maybe yeah. not, maybe not, but that's my, I mean, sure, look, that's, that's my interpretation. What, what, yeah. that's, what's worth that's saying is that what, what we're talking about, where our conversation has landed on this show, is the pressure point. It is the most difficult thing the show attempts to do, which is humanize monsters essentially, especially at this moment. And what you're saying about its inability to do so I don't was think my concern to, going I, in. I guess like I always, I, I'm fine not humanizing. I, I, I guess I'm fine. Yeah. I'm Because I'm, I'm, uh, by the way, I'm not, unless you think, Dan, unless you think P.T. Anderson did that with Daniel Plainview, which, which I don't know if he really did. Mr. Robot is a touchy-feely show, is what we're saying here. <laughs> it is notoriously I'm, I'm, I'm not. I'm not saying that this has to be a humanist show. Yeah. I'm not I'm not I'm not advocating for that. But what is compelling about the characters beyond the fact that that we can make fun of them, that we can laugh when they fail? And if the show just a- asked me to do that, I would I, I'm there. I was laughing. You're there was, for the Veep was, version of it. Yeah, a hundred percent. You turn Veep into a drama where you ask me to care. I don't know if. I, don't I think know it, if that it would speaks work. to the for me. It spoke to the possibility of both happening at the same time. Yeah, that you could have. But you keep not answering. The, this is this is this is what I'm saying. I keep asking, why do you care? And you keep not answering. And that that's the thing. I that it's very telling. I I find <laughs> portraits of failure. Do you find Kendall? I find portraits of failure to be kind of interesting. I don't think they get told very often. Like Andy's saying, I think that a lot of the stories that we re- see are just about how you won the final hand. How I don't you, care if Donald Trump Jr. fails. I hope he fails, but I don't care if he fails. I wonder how you oh, would I feel about either. the show if it came out in 2012 then. Oh, I hated the Trumps in 2012, too. <laughs> I did, too. But I don't think about the Trumps. I sometimes think about the Murdochs 
you know, I hated the Murdochs. I don't in like them either. But I think. Well, that, I, actually, I shouldn't say that because I don't know all the Murdochs. There might be some nice Murdochs out right? there. By the way, I the, bet you the Murdochs. If you actually told, like, you know, a true adaptation of the, the Murdochs, they're probably really smart, fascinating, mm-hmm. compelling characters that maybe you don't like. Here, I just did not find for, a way. For me, the power and the, the importance of art is to humanize things that you might not understand or to have, offer a window to give you visions that you might not expect or appreciate. I'm not reading a New York Times profile of Donald Trump Jr. looking to empathize with him because I know of things that he has done in the real world. Safe in this cocoon of fiction, we can explore interesting ideas about the encroachment of capitalism on human emotion, the way the Shiv and Tom relationship is essentially one elaborate contract negotiation. And the impact is profit. Uh, why? Why are you fascinated by <laughs> You don't I, find I, it fascinating? You don't find yourself no. to be dominating like the way the world is working right now? The way that people who are basically chasing profit at the expense of everything Obvi- else? Obviously, are- I find that interesting. But I don't care about the people necessarily right. who are engaging in that. That And that's the thing. If you want to talk about it from a different lens, if you want to do a show from a different lens. And by the way, look, I, I'm obviously in the minority. The show's like caught fire. Everybody loves it. And that's not to say Jeremy Strong is fucking aces. Yes. Brilliant. Yeah. He's amazing. And a lot of a lot of the uh, other performance, the, the guy who plays Tom, I can't think of his Matthew name. Matthew McFadden, yeah. It's brilliant. The, the, the woman who plays shit. I mean— Great. And Cousin Greg is hilarious. So I, I'm not debating, but, like, the, the the craftsmanship that goes into the performances or the way that those people are portraying those people. But it's just I don't understand the angle. I just don't get the value of what I'm watching. Let, go ahead. Last go ahead. two things. Yeah. One is that we're going to have, a, like, a mirror <laughs> image of this conversation in a minute. By the way, when you what's get to good, what two, is good one. about this, this show is that, in spi- I mean, we're— we debated really? a lot. Yeah. Well, yeah. We, that, that was my second conversation. Point. My, yeah. my first point is we're going to have a mirror image of this conversation with your number one or your number two when we get there. Yeah. And we're about to get there. The other point is just in terms of like the conversation about the conversation about, about TV, I really have a soft spot for the show because of the way it surprised me. Because I struggled through the first few I and actually, then weirdly, sunk in deeper— Fell in love with it in a way that I did that really caught me off guard. The fact that we're having these spirited conversations. It also has two of the best the, episodes that came out this year. It absolutely the does. The finale in Prague. And the fact that a, a lot of people seem to be catching on to it in a slow burning, old fashioned kind of way. I really appreciate that. You about know what's it. weird? I it, It's a flip for me. I enjoyed it in the beginning because I think in the beginning it was actually. It was more, more scathing towards its characters. Yeah. yeah it then, seemed to hate the then, characters and then, in the beginning. And then they started to they just, I like the fact that there was never an audience avatar. There was never someone who was like, I just got a job here. And these well, people. You thought are it was so Cousin Greg. But it was, that's yeah, not but that. then they, he got drawn into. Okay, so that's your number th- yep, three. Three. My number one. So, uh, we're, are, so what am I done, doing? What's your number three? I, I did Maniac, number okay. three. So you do know your number two. Oh, here it is. Here it is. Here it is, guys. Here it is. Are you going to say fucking Westworld, man? No, it's, oh. it's Johnny. It's Versace. Oh. Versace, guys. This is Versace. Sam's. This is, this is Sam's thing. We're going to clear the lane for this you. Is a, this is a masterpiece. This is probably, the be- in my opinion, the best thing Ryan Murphy's ever done. It's so well written. Darren Chris is brilliant in the show. The structure of the whole show is so captivating, so unexpected. And, you know, it starts off really slow. And I have to say, I wasn't, I wasn't completely grabbed I was grabbed enough, but not completely in the beginning. And then as it just went on and on, I mean, man, it just hit me like a ton of bricks by the end. And I don't think either one of you got to the end, right? Is that correct? I made it through eight, which is very close to the end. (laughs) I couldn't do it. You know, 
this is one of those things, and maybe this is actually what's behind our succession argument. This is still TV. It is still subjective. Here's there are things a guy, that work for you and things that don't. Well, well, I, I think me, Tom Rob Smith is a brilliant writer. Brilliant. And he, performances, he wrote a masterpiece here. Let me just say, character couldn't be un- more unlikable. <laughs> absolutely right? true. Could not, I did not like this guy at all, obviously. So compelling. So fascinating. His humanity was compelling. He, his humanity apparent. was compelling. His thought process was compelling. The way he sort of viewed the world, and by the way, and, and Chris and I, you, know, you and I have talked about the directing a little bit on the show, I know you're not a fan, but I think the directing really reflected sort of his cracked mirror version of the world. Yeah. That's what I mean. I, I want something to really uh, grab me. I mean, comp- you know, give me somebody who's compelling, Look, here, here's who, the, ha- who makes choices who are bold. Here's are something bold. that we needed to say. Great fictional characters yes. share one trait, which is some level of self-reflection or some some willingness or at least openness to being examined of an internal life, right? The Trumps have no internal life. No, zero. No self-reflection. Yes. They are not interesting characters, no. which is one of the— Low no, on the not, list of worst things. They're not even evil. They're not. They're just evil. They're dumb evil. They're They're, dumb. they're, they're evil. Yes. What are they? Evil idiots. Evil they're idiots. They're not evil geniuses. The, the Roys, not to backslide, are not that. No. And that's what makes the show compelling to me. Similarly, a they're mass— even, By the way, they're not even that evil. Um, I don't even think—I wouldn't even characterize Kendall no, But a mass evil. murderer on Versace is, is an, arguably pretty, evil. Pretty mm-hmm. evil. But a roiling ocean of humanity— which made it compelling. I, this is purely an aesthetic thing for me. I watched and I watched and I watched and I admired, but the pieces never coalesced for me. I could not find, and this sounds very basic, and maybe this is really what we're talking about on a fan level. I could not find my way into this story. I could not. I could see it from a distance and I could admire it and appreciate each separate piece, performance, writing, direction, conception. Um, certainly the way that it was broke, the story was broken up it was very unique and it never coalesced for me. Hmm. And that sounds flimsy when comparison to your passion to it for it. It's but. been such a long time that I, I would almost feel weird like getting myself worked up to say why I didn't like it. I would say that on the flip side of what we were talking about before, I did not find the world building particularly compelling in the show. It did feel kind of just kind of sounds DG to me. I don't know. Hmm. But let's get into your so we that's your number two. That was my number two. We must have the same number yeah. one. And it must be the missing one from your list as it's, well. Yeah, my number two is Atlanta. Yeah, my number one. It should be your number one. Okay, Same so that, that was the show you told me was going to be your number one. That's I think I made, maybe it flipped. And it flipped. Tell me. Flipped for you. We have talked about the show at length. Let clear the lane again. What, why is uh, this the best I, show? I mean, game? it's it's what what can I say? The show and, might, but, but might actually I, be underrated at this point. Yes, it is. Yeah. I completely agree. These lists are coming out and people are like, it's number 11. I don't know how to describe the show without being... Um, Exaggerating. I mean, the show's like on a different level. It's it's on a different planet. It's not. It doesn't even care about runtime. I mean, you can't even talk about the show in any sort of formalistic way and compare it to any other show because it just does whatever it does, and it does it so beautifully, so honestly. And I, you know, it's just I wasn't even a fan of every necessarily every episode. There were some episodes mm-hmm. where I was like, but even on those moments, I was so in. I was so in. I was so absorbed. I want to be clear when we talk about Atlanta. Like, I really like and even love all 10 shows on my list. You could throw away the other nine, and there could be yeah. a one-show list because yeah. it is not in the same category It's not in the same category. The best of the other shows that we're talking about, whether it's Succession or Versace or Killing Eve or Barry, seem to be very, very trenchant about the culture or 
very pr- appropriately suited to this moment in the culture. Atlanta creates the culture. Atlanta yeah. drives yeah, the culture. Instantaneously, it, it, it doesn't part, just uh, like a reference. It, it doesn't becomes, just create. Yeah. It doesn't just respond to things. It creates new ideas about how we should be talking about things, and creates new stars. By the way, too, because Brian Tyree Henry is having a moment. Is having a best moment. actor on TV. G- great in Widows. It, a movie I haven't seen yet, but it's I hope to get the screener movie. soon. Great movie. And, <laughs> Holy but, shit. But, but like, like Keith Stanfield, I mean, these guys. L.A. liberal, Hollywood liberal. You guys you call me when you screeners. have kids. Call me when you have kids. <laughs> Who says I don't? It, it Survivor in bed produces many, many offspring. Narcos Mexico on my children. Um, uh, the, the, this the, is the why the I'm it it's not your number one. Yeah. I mean, because it clearly is your front. I mean. Atlanta. Yeah. There's clearly. Not the, there, it's not even close. It is my number and, one. Yeah, it's his number one. It's no, I know. I'm just saying. I don't understand how how it's exactly well, what you said well, at the where beginning. Was where I basically put, went with with fresh and new as number one. Also, where it's else was he going to put Sneaky Pete season two? I know. I, mean, I, right was at the top of the that, I was waiting for that to drop. Um, uh, Atlanta, it's so good. We could wait two years for another season three. I don't know. I don't care. It doesn't, I, matter. It doesn't matter. We talked That's about this thing. a little bit, but it's also like uh, what a testament to the power of the episode still. That each one of these feels like these discrete events, you know, and that when you start to talk, and I personally, like my favorite episode of the season was Helen, which was not one of the Mm -hmm. ones that gets talked about a lot, but it's the sort of episode where Donald Glover and Zazie Beetz's characters go off uh, on this road trip to a German cultural festival. They've heard of Deutschland 86. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And uh, that's, it's just these remarkable, it was, I think that one was directed by Amy Simons. She directed the other, the episodes that. That Hero and Donald didn't direct, I believe. Yeah, that was Amy Simons, and it's just this remarkably like well observed relationship chamber piece that like happens in the middle of a season that also has Teddy Perkins and also has the Woods. It's just it's it's I can't believe that's the same show. It's it's everything we want in anything, in that you could you could it's a vessel that can contain any emotion. I mean, the show is deeply sad at times. It's deeply funny. It can be infuriating and affecting. It can just be goofy and weird. I remember when it hit me that it's that one episode, I think it's the second to last episode, where we're seeing this weird frat party with all the naked guys. Oh, a North of the Border episode. Right, and then they all leave, and then Daniel Glover and... um, uh, and Tracy get in the yeah, fight. Yeah, get into a fight, and it gets really on sad. On the side, already, yeah. like beats his ass. Yeah, just right after uh, the, the you know this really goofy, surreal, weird, funny scene. It, it's just a it's just a show that I feel like kind of stretches effortlessly, and then comes back, and you never see the tonal shifts. I, I, you never, I mean, you never feel it. You never feel like they're manipulating or hinting something at you. It's always just. Just in the frames. This isn't a fair comparison, but we spoke about this in the podcast recently, so that's why I'm bringing it up. If you take a show like Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, <laughs> which we enjoyed, and yeah. it's fine. Yeah. But one of the praise um, among the, the the compliments that show has earned, I think, has been people saying this show feels very of the moment. You know, it it is timed or or designed well for this generation or this moment or this attention span. I guess because it is sort of arch, it is knowing, it's a little bit winky-winky clever, it's incredibly fast, it's riffing on a thing that we already know that was itself riffing on another thing, Mm -hmm. referential. I think that sort of comment, saying that is of the moment is incredibly easy. You know, I think that Atlanta is of the moment in that it, it has a wide-ranging attention span. It takes in the possibility of an existence where extremes can happen, like the naked frat boys, and 
the, the sort of impotent fury that Ern has when he's trying to physically fight someone, it's all true, right? I mean, Alfred can be funny in one episode and can have an episode like The Woods where he's just ruined inside. Yeah. It is the total. I mean, this sounds crazy, yeah. but I agree with you. It feels it's underpraised right now because this is the only show that I think speaks to the totality of our experience that's on TV. Absolutely. Sam, thank you so much for joining us. The annual tradition that we hope to keep doing for years to come. We will be back on Monday with another episode of The Watch. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by Brilliant Earth. Brilliant Earth is the global leader in ethically sourced fine jewelry and the destination for creating your own custom engagement ring. Choose from a variety of beyond conflict-free diamonds and other fine jewelry crafted from recycled precious metals at BrilliantEarth.com. From now until December 14th, you will receive a complimentary pair of diamond studs with the purchase of an engagement ring. To see terms for this special offer and to shop all Brilliant Earth selections, go to BrilliantEarth.com watch. Today's episode of The Watch was brought to you by the big homies at Sonos. Meet Sonos Beam, the smart, compact soundbar for your TV. Beam lets you fill the room with rich sounds of everything you love, from music and radio to movies, TV, podcasts, and more. I love Sonos. You know, you basically can set it up with, it's one cord. It's a super easy setup with just step-by-step on the app. And once you're done, you're basically living the dream. You've got football and basketball games that feel like you're sitting right up against the field or the court. And when you're watching movies, the dialogue becomes crystal clear. Go to Sonos.com to learn more and order your Sonos Beam to start your smart home sound system.